This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. We are back. It is just after 2.34 this afternoon here on Afternoons on News Talk 770. I'm Andrew Lawton in for Rob this week and next. It's good to have you tuning into the show here. We were just talking about, before the break, the idea of drugs, and it played into a small part of the conversation there, whether or not drugs themselves should simply be legalized or, as my guest suggested, decriminalized. And I wanted to take this one step further to what is a philosophical discussion, but also one that has a very practical news story connected to it, and that is, should you be able to sell your body or the products of your body, not sex? I mean, we can have that discussion as well, but actual parts of your body or things that your body creates, like plasma, like blood, like maybe a kidney. How about bone marrow? This isn't a new dialogue, but it's one that has a couple of different implications today. First off, Canadian Blood Services is looking at uh, getting almost a billion dollars over the next seven years to get more plasma from unpaid donors in Canada rather than paid donors in the U.S. And then we also have an op-ed in the or an editorial rather in the Wall Street Journal the other day that the Department of Health and Human Services in the U.S. has withdrawn a rule that they say literally kills people. And now money for bone marrow is essentially fine. I wanted to welcome into the show here Professor Peter Jaworski to talk about this. He is not just the author of Markets Without Limits, but also an assistant teaching professor teaching business ethics at Georgetown University. Professor Jaworski, good to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Hey, aloha, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. So the the idea of being able to make money from a, a donation of, of blood or, or plasma, or in this case, bone marrow, I mean, this is something that Canadians are so standoffish about, despite it really working in, in the U.S. in many respects. Yeah, you're exactly right. In fact, I kind of don't even understand why Canadians are so standoffish about it. It does work in the United States. Uh, the United States has been paying for blood plasma, for whole blood, for sperm, for all kinds of things. Uh, human eggs, for example, for a really long time with uh, very good outcomes. And also, I didn't realize this, that the Canadian Blood Services Agency, which is the agency tasked with, with getting blood and plasma and platelets, has been dealing with its shortage of plasma by using paid donors in the U.S. And I mean, even if you take purely uh, a view of, you know, a government should, you know, create opportunities for its own citizens, I don't get why paying one group of donors is okay, but not another. Uh, it's actually even more ironic, I guess. So the Canadian Blood Services, yes, they, they have a shortage of blood plasma for plasma-derived pharmaceuticals, right? in particular immune globulin. Right? That's the thing that, that we have a significant shortage for uh, in Canada. Uh, the Canadian Blood Services, they're asking for almost a billion. It's $855 million to open up more plasma centers to collect more plasma. But what's ironic about this is that the Canadian government pays for blood plasma for those pharmaceuticals from the U.S., right? And the same thing is true for blood in general. Whenever the Canadian Blood Services has too little domestic blood, like Canadian blood, they pay Americans for that blood. And, of course, Americans are compensated for that blood plasma and for that blood. So it's a weird kind of moral, I don't know what the word should be here. It's like a, a weird kind of moral magic here. It's not okay for the Canadian government to pay a Canadian for the blood, but it's okay for the Canadian government to pay a third party who will pay an American 
for their blood. I I think I find that strange. Yeah, I didn't know plasma was part of NAFTA or something where it just becomes a cross border <laughs> trade only. You can't have a where's the plasma supply management that we uh, we have in Canada for our own protectionism here. But it, it's interesting because you mentioned the moral element of this. Is the morality or the perceived lack of morality the only sticking point here, or has there been even historically any research that said there was something potentially problematic about paying for donations? Because I know what I used to hear from people was, oh, well, that will make people more likely to lie about, uh, you know, whether they've had a, a practice or drug use or whatever that would normally disqualify them. But is there any merit to that at all? Uh, there's quite a bit of merit to that. Uh, it used to be a significant problem. In fact, Richard Titmus was the sociologist who wrote a book about it called The Gift Relationship. And we had our own problem in Canada as well. We had a hepatitis outbreak, which was a consequence of getting poor quality blood from prisoners in the United States. Uh, nevertheless, over time, the way that we test that blood has improved significantly. So the problem is less and less. It's true that if you offer an incentive, if you offer somebody $25, as Canadian Plasma Services wants to do, right, that's a different company from Canadian Blood Services. They're the private company that wanted to pay Canadians for plasma donations. Yep. But if you offer an incentive like $25 for a plasma donation, uh, the people who are attracted to that, some of them are going to be incentivized to lie about their past history. Nevertheless, it matters less and less because the equipment and the technology that we have to test that blood for problems like hepatitis and HIV and so on has improved so significantly that even Canadian blood services themselves have said that there is no significant safety concern when it comes to paying people for plasma or for blood. So in Canada, this is a Health Canada stipulation then, presumably, correct? Uh, it's Canadian blood services, and then each of the provinces have different rules with respect to whether or not you can compensate people, and it turns out that like all provinces and all territories make it illegal to pay for blood. I know that you have done something, and I've talked about it on the regular show that I host in the past with, with students of yours, where you basically have them plot out what you should be able to, to buy and sell, you know, and it ranges from, I think, hair on one side to, you know, body parts and, and sexual services on the other. And, and what I find interesting in, in this is that there there may be an ick factor to it that that is really the only explaining determination and why people would view things so differently. I mean, it's a part of your body. You should have the, the ultimate right. And I, I realize that's more of a philosophical statement, but I don't know why that can't be a practical one as well. No, you're right. Uh, I think for the most part, it kind of reduces to a feeling of disgust that a lot of people have. But to give it a bit more credit, well, first I should say that every time I go out into the public and I ask people whether or not they think we should have a market in blood and blood plasma and kidneys and so on, most people say yes. Most people say yes. So if you hear from someone, and I haven't seen like a national poll, neither in Canada nor in the U.S., asking that particular question, but I'm suspicious that most people, I think, are going to be okay with markets in those things. Nevertheless, okay, so there is this ick factor, this feeling of disgust that most people feel, and maybe some people can't get over it. But there are better arguments, too. Um, so, for example, uh, the Canadian Union of Public Employees, they're one of the groups that opposes uh, having a pay-for-plasma or pay-for-blood kinds of centers. You know, they raise the prospect of exploitation, of commodification, for example. Um, some people worry about undermining altruism. So if you pay someone for something, then uh, they will be less likely to do it out of the kindness of their hearts. 
And we want people to do certain things out of the kindness of their hearts, like donate blood, donate plasma, donate their kidney, and so on, right? But that, that last point about undermining altruism, first of all, it's not really true. Depending on how you pay people, depending on how smart you are about the system that you set up, uh, the empirical evidence appears to show that it doesn't decrease altruistic donations, right? And we should also point out that, like, everybody surrounding this system gets paid. So uh, Graham Schur, who's the CEO of Canadian Blood Services, he gets paid over $700,000 a year, right? But hardly anybody, like, I wouldn't question his altruistic impulses. I think he's doing it because he cares about people. I think he's a CEO of Canadian Blood Services because, you know, his heart is in the right place. I get paid for teaching, you know. Uh, if somebody were to ask me why I'm teaching, sure, I mean, money plays a role, right? It covers my opportunity costs. But the real reason why I'm teaching rather than doing public policy or something else is because I love teaching. I love to teach. Um, the same is true for, like, all sorts of people. Doctors and nurses, they get paid for what they do, right? Why is it that the only person who doesn't get paid is the person whose blood it is, the person whose blood plasma it is, the person whose kidney it is? Why are we worried about those people's altruistic impulses, but we're not worried at all about the altruistic impulses of somebody like uh, Graham Schur or the doctors and the, and the nurses and the people who work at the hospital at the time that people make a donation, right? I would so also I say, I, I, just sorry to interrupt there, but I'd also say that the outcome is more important than the motivation in these cases. I mean, if you have something that is going to give what is needed, which is more blood or plasma, more blood products, and, you know, people are doing it for money instead of altruism or for money as well as altruism. If, if the goal is we need more of these products and we get more of them, does it really matter? I think you're exactly right. I mean, what's at stake here is human suffering and human lives, right? Uh, and whatever your objections are to paying people for blood and paying people for plasma and paying people for kidneys, those objections have to be strong enough to overcome the fact that we know that people will die if we don't pay people for blood and plasma. We don't have, in the case of plasma, for example, there is like there are two jurisdictions that are fully self-sufficient, not just for actual tra uh, transfusions, but also for creating pharmaceutical products out of that plasma, and that's Germany and the United States. In fact, the United States uh, makes up 65% of the entire world's blood plasma wow. supply. Right, 65%. Those two jurisdictions, you can get paid for donating your plasma. Now, I understand it would be ideal if more people, and I should say to your listeners right now in Calgary, you know, go out there and donate blood, donate blood plasma. Uh, go ahead and put yourself on the one-match registry for bone marrow donation. I'm on the registry here in the United States, right, and I, and I encourage everyone to get on those registries. That's really important. But since we're talking about human lives, what's important is that we get as much of that supply as possible so that no one has to suffer nor die for lack of, you know, for example, a kidney or insufficient blood plasma. When I had reached out to you originally, it was over this story in the U.S. about bone marrow. I do want to get to that in a moment. It was just very fortuitous timing of that uh, story about the CBS push now for more uh, plasma that they're getting in. But I do want to ask you about the bone marrow one, because there is, for bone marrow, an even higher risk and a, a higher 
contribution that someone who donates is giving. I mean, blood or plasma specifically. I mean, you're you're in and out in an hour. It, there's not really any risk. You might get a little bit lightheaded or whatnot, but there's nothing there. With bone marrow, there is is substantially more risk, which makes it even more concerning that people would say no. And in this case, it was the Obama administration. You you shouldn't be allowed to get money for that. Yeah, that's right. There is. I mean, we shouldn't overplay the risk because there are now. Uh, new procedures for getting bone marrow out of people's bones. So it used to be this giant needle that we would inject into your um, hip bone, and then we would extract the bone marrow from that bone, right? And that used to be a really, that's a really complicated procedure. It used to be very painful, et cetera. But there is this synthetic protein that we can inject into your system, and what that does is it pulls the bone marrow, the baby bone marrow, right? It pulls it out of your bones and into your bloodstream, and now we can get those peripheral blood stem cells, which is essentially just baby bone marrow, out of your blood via something like a blood plasma donation. In fact, it's identical in all respects. There's a is machine it now? in the background. I didn't know it had come that way. That's actually encouraging. It is encouraging. Now, the, the uh, side effects of the synthetic protein are that you will feel uh, tired, right? Uh, you may get flu-like symptoms, and they can last. Usually it lasts about 24 to 48 hours. Okay. You're almost as good as new within 48 hours. Uh, sometimes it lasts longer, like a week or two. Yeah, that's the new procedure, and that, by the way, is why it's legal to pay for bone marrow in the United States. A court found in 2012 that that procedure, right, which is called apheresis, right, that procedure is too similar to blood donations and too similar to blood plasma donations to allow compensation for one but not the other. So that's why it's legal. So just before I let you go here, Professor Jaworski, anything you think you shouldn't be able to sell? <laughs> anything that you shouldn't be able to do for free, right? I mean, that's the thesis of the book. Anything that it is permissible for you to do for free, it should be permissible for you to sell on a market, right? But there's all kinds of things that you and I shouldn't be allowed to do for free. For example, it's not okay for us to lie, and so it's not okay for us to lie for money, right? But the only kinds of restrictions on markets, in my view, from a moral perspective, I'm not talking about a pragmatic or a practical perspective, but from a moral perspective, the only kinds of markets that should be prohibited are markets and things that you and I shouldn't do for free. Fair enough. So no hitmen. <laughs> well, that's a perfect example, right? I mean, you can't, right? Or slavery, for example. Like, even if a king were to give a gift of slaves, that would be just as wrong as having a market in slaves. So slavery's out, and assassination markets are out, and so on. Yeah, you're right. It isn't the, the monetization or the marketization of something that makes it wrong or, or right. It, it has a, a standalone value morally. Great points all around. Professor Peter Jaworski joining me on the line from Georgetown University, also author of the book Markets Without Limits, Moral Virtues and Commercial Interest. It is great to talk to you, Professor Jaworski. Thanks so much for your time today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Andrew. All right, all the best to you, sir. When we come back in a couple of moments, should you be able to sell your plasma, sell your bone marrow, sell your blood, sell your hair, sell everything? Why not? You can sell your time. Why not other things? 403-974-8255 is my number. 403-974-8255. This is Andrew Lawton in for Rob here on Afternoons on News Talk 770. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.